1: This is one hate minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name?
0: You Look like gangbangers working the local 7 Eleven.
1: Robbery, homicides, take me Give me all you got! This and- Give me all you got! I do what I do best. It scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me for the 87th minute of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus is a person who wrote this. 1995's Heat is Michael Mann's magnum opus. It's a sprawling, back-breakingly ambitious 172-minute crime saga with more than 70 speaking roles, and is the purest expression of the filmmaker's pet themes, played out to the doomy grandeur. Many critics at the time considered it overblown, but I find it magnificent. I went to see Heat seven times during its initial theatrical release. Yeah, things weren't going <laughs> things weren't going so well for me at the time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have a writer who has contributed to RogerEbert.com for that very piece, The Chase is the Thing, on Michael Mann's Manhunter Heat and Public Enemies. He's also on Boston's NPR station, WBUR, Time Out New York, Philadelphia Weekly, The Improper uh, Improper Bostonian, Splice Personality, and North Shore Movies. He's also a huge recommendation from one of my other favorite guests of this entire show, Niall Schwartz. Welcome to One Heat Minute, Mr. Sean Burns. Hello, sir.
0: Oh, wow. I can't live up to an intro like that.
1: Right? <laughs> I, I I try and, you know, I'm very happy with the, the legendary folks that join me for this show and give me their time and, and sort of sit around Michael Mann's campfire a minute at a time with me to sort of talk the amazing film that we've got in front of us. And uh, I'm just really grateful for it. So thank you.
0: No, thank you. I mean, we were just saying before we started recording this is my dream of what life would be like when i was in college where everyone can just talk about heat all day
1: all day that's i agree we we must have just by osmosis on other other sides of the planet this is what was happening in my brain too i was like god it would just be so much better if people understood um but this is exactly what this podcast is for so look we're going to kick off um sean is Sort of uniquely placed. There's, you know, those top top five, top ten heat experts in the world and man experts. And um, I'm sure, you know, Niles, when he was recommending Sean to come onto the show, was like, you, "This is a person that if you haven't got them yet, you really need to add them to your list." And so it was, a, it became an imperative. Um, so first and foremost, we just set off there, and I'll say, um, "Apology, Sean, you did not get to come on for the great ass minute, which is one of your life regrets, which I'm really sorry about." <laughs> But I said I would have. Uh, my pleasure to have Sean back again, perhaps later, um, to talk through a uh, to talk through the minute as a bonus episode if we need to. Um, but what we can maybe do... I can come back for Ralph. That's almost going. Oh so, look, Ralph is a. It's so funny you say that because I didn't realize how much love was going on for Ralph. But um, what has happened <laughs> is the awesome Courtney Howard, who's an LA critic. She's a really great writer as well. I said to her, Why, What minute would you like to do next? Come back." She goes, "Please let me do Ralph." so Ralph is a hotly contested one maybe we can sync up a great uh, uh, I've done my first two people, multiple Skype chat I think a Courtney Howard, Sean Burns dynamic duo taking down Ralph with me would be an absolute pleasure so I'm throwing it out there in the universe Courtney if you're listening I hope you are um, that would be a blast but yeah Ralph God bless him he's just the, <laughs> the poor sap of this movie <laughs> he's the butt of everyone's jokes um, alright well we are look Um, We have just really, we're we're an episode away from eclipsing the halfway point. This is a 170 minute long film. Um, So uh, it's a, you know, we're right in the thick of uh, the sort of, uh, right in the thick of it. And uh, I'm super excited that we're finally eclipsed halfway. It feels like it's all downhill from here. Um, Sean is going to join me watching the 87th minute where Vincent Hannah is now in a helicopter. We see him finally hunting down Neil McCauley. The tables have been turned on Vincent. You know, the cat and mouse chase um, in Sean's beautifully articulated article um, has been turned on its head. And now Vincent is going for a huge power play to restore order where he's back on top, literally back on top in a helicopter. Um, But uh, we are now staring down at this massive arrow-like street um, in this minute. It's the 87th minute, one twenty six on your Warner Brothers Blu-ray if you're watching from home. and uh, and Or if you're listening and it's not quite queued up because you've got the definitive edition, JJ has just started giving Vincent some info. So we're going to play this minute now and then Sean and I are going to come back and unpack JJ, it. JJ, I'm in Air 40. Bridget Glover's with me. It's on the 105 eastbound, approaching the 110 energy. Running a revolving tail? Yeah, I got two units in front three behind. OK, have one of them pick me up at the Vermont on-ramp. Let's go. and there we are
0: you know the gum is what really stands out
1: <laughs> <laughs> that that mat, that chewing that gum you know what stands out to me it's so funny is i think your level of coolness as a cop or or a tough guy in a movie is how effortlessly you can walk out of a helicopter and not duck your head at the rotors, like just be totally confident. <laughs> so for well, me... this is
0: where it helps the Gino being
1: so short. Sure. <laughs> yeah, he, he's not 6'3". He's not worried about, you know, them giving, getting a haircut. But I just love that moment because the guy who goes and, you know, gives him the car is like really cautious, you know, ducks down really in a pronounced way and, and, and Vincent just sort of swaggers out of the chopper like it's nobody's business walking out of there. And it's also really bizarre for me now at the, you know, 87th minute um, to hear the theme song. You know, my, my a friend of mine, Paul Davies, sort of did a, a version of the, this, this little ditty as the theme song to the episode. And it's kind of a little off left of center now because I feel like my theme song is imp- implanted in my head more than the, in the film at this point. So, um, but yeah, so it's really interesting to see. Sean, to tell me all about it. Let's, where, where, where do you want to start?
0: Well, for starters, I wanted to talk about, you know, you get this incredible view of Los Angeles, and I think I was living in New York when this movie came out, and it was such a strange thing to first see all the posters, to see Pacino and De Niro in the words, a Los Angeles crime saga. Yes. That was the original tagline. These are the least L.A. guys you could imagine. (laughs) Yes. Yes. uh, There was a fun thing about living in New York, especially in the 90s when they were at You know, their careers, as you've talked about on the show, were in very different places than they are now. But going to see Pacino or De Niro movies in the 90s in New York City was like, it was just the Friday night thing. There was this electricity. It was, you know, Goomba Central. (laughs) I remembered with Heat, it was was before advanced ticket sales. So the box office would open at like 10 o'clock in the morning, and you would line up around the block, like for concert tickets or something. And we were there in Greenwich Village, and we were standing in line, To buy tickets for all of our friends, and somehow I got stuck going. And there was a guy behind me just going, "Bobby, Al, Bobby, Al,"
1: (laughs) a madman. But yeah, I mean, talking to himself behind you.
0: Yeah, it was. That's how he gotten himself up that early to get in line. I'm not (laughs) sure. It was just the excitement of, and I mean, it was crazy that night. It was the ten o'clock show on opening night, and just the electricity of you know finally seeing these guys together. And they're in L.A.? Yes.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that's such a great point, Sean. I hadn't actually, I hadn't really cottoned onto it, but these guys are the quintessential New York guys. Like, they are, that's who they are. And even Chicago feels more, you know, with uh, De Niro's Untouchables background, sort of, you know, big city, um, not as much of the sprawl like L.A., very contained. It feels like they suit their personalities more, or maybe their whole oeuvre, like everything they've done up until that point. But... It's like, all right, we're going to take a bit of this New York City flavor, and we're going to take it into a modern context in Los Angeles, and here we go. It
0: was a big L.A. movie before. It was like L.A. story. It was Steve Martin's place. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yes. <the> place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah. And uh, it was also strange, too, because Michael Mann wasn't quite, you know, he'd done Last of the Mohicans, and, you know, we'd known him from television and things, but like, you know, Casino was out the same fall. Yes. Yes casino and clockers and you know it was more like in terms of new york guys there was spike lee and martin scorsese and it was just it seemed like an anomaly at the time to have these two dudes in the la movie but the miami vice guy
1: yes exactly miami vice guy no business no business having those two wonderful new yorkers until you see it on screen and what was that 10 o'clock session like like at the end was everyone just was, was did everyone just did their heads melt I just uh, – I can't imagine what it would have been on opening night.
0: Well, it was crazy because I remember this moment in the, in the theater. There was a – when Val Kilmer and Ashley Judd are arguing and then the kid starts crying from the other room. Yes. It was a theater. It was we, we saw it in the THX house. So the movie had this really severe stereo separation. So it sounded like a baby was crying in the movie theater. Oh. And this dude yelled, shut that kid up or I'll kill it. <laughs> And then Ashley Judd went to take care of the baby, and the guy was like, oh, sorry.
1: And, of course, an hour
0: later, then Pacino's like, someone put a baby in the microwave.
1: Oh, and God. And the whole theater
0: exploded laughing. So. <laughs> so, yeah, infanticide was an option if anyone had brought a kid that night, because this was, you know, the, this is the a sacramental se- thing we were waiting for. This
1: this is serious. This is serious, guys. I
0: think we stayed up all that night, my friends and I, after we were 20 years old. and We went to the bar afterwards and stayed until they closed at four, just just talking about the movie we just watched. I don't think we talked about anything else. It was just, oh, and then this, and then this happened. And then this happened.
1: It is just a marvel. It's those stories, those stories warm my heart because I think of, I think of so, it's so, it's such a rare beast these days that I can remember like going back after watching a film and just completely unpacking it and not wanting to talk about anything else. I think that's probably a little blessing that you get with a film festival occasionally. Is like there might be a screening of something that, a whole bunch of people are moved for. I think the last one, and it's so different on a completely different tangent, but I went along to a, with a bunch of friends and saw call me by your name. And I remember a whole bunch of friends after that movie were like, Oh, like just completely and utterly shattered um, and moved by it. So, you know, seeing it, it's like, it was, it's a real event. It was a a proper event back in those days. God, 4am New York, December.
0: Well, and like Niles was saying when he was on the show, you know, this was one of those movies that just gave him exactly what he wanted. Yes, and you know, I know that's what I and my friends were feeling like afterward. I mean, we were just doing imitations all night. (laughs) It's because I remember about an hour in during the uh, Tarina scene when Pacino starts rumbling the table. One of my friends leans over and goes, "What the fuck is he doing?"
1: (laughs) He does one of those movies though, where when he does it. When when he does these things, I find the people who love heat the most, Sean, take the piss out of it the most. Like I I will say all the lines. I'll sh- I'll shake a table and say, "Give me all you got." Probably more than any of my friends. Um, I, I've definitely. Oh yeah, my
0: big one is uh, "I told you when we hooked up, baby." <laughs> <laughs> my
1: my my one with friends who really know it. I'll just when they're talking to me on the phone when I want to end the conversation. I go, oh, that's wonderful, and I just hang the phone up. That's my favorite. <laughs> I really want to be able to do it more. There's probably two or three friends I can do it to, but I I want to I want to branch out. But I, yeah, well, I he's find- got the greatest phone
0: game. I mean, we can just talk about all his weird quirks with his performances. Because there's always a shot someone will finish talking to him, and he'll look like he'll about he's about to say goodbye, and he'll just wait for a minute where a person would say goodbye, and he'll say nothing, and then hang up the phone.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 too hard to trace the sale, Vincent. Just hang up. Nothing, nothing. I love all the anti-responses, and it works so good in the opening scene too. And it's sort of offset in both of these. Like um, that setting the scene as he walks into that opening one, where he basically doesn't say a word. He just looks, and when he glances, someone speaks to him, and when he points, he just points, and when he points at stuff, like that's such a. It's such an iconic scene. It's almost like he's. His stage presence that he's bringing to the cinema in that case, because he's much more of a sort of a, a stage... He's had a lot more stage time than, say, someone like De Niro. Um, but he's, he's just playing into that. He's just completely... He's just dressed in that stage presence for the entire film. And so this... What's so amazing about this scene? And just, I'm still staggered just by the look of it, right? That that those opening frames, and I think it's Dante Spinotti was talking about how they overexposed um, all the film so that they could actually capture the lights like that. That that's like as as good a pre digital night photography pretty much as ever has been screened, right? I mean, have you got any others off the top of your head that you can think of that is that look as great from those he- from helicopters in the middle of the night?
0: No, I mean it's you know you have to go to Collateral to see another movie that has the skyline look like that. Yes, I wonder what those have in common.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's Collateral. I think I've heard of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I I love I love that. And then once you, once I, I'm trying to imagine back, and I'm I'll, I'll I'll sort of channel your memory of the night when when Pacino does this do you remember ever having a sense in those early viewings of the film of what he's doing in this moment? Like when he looks down at that watch when he's in the house after he's had that run-in with Justine and she's like, I'm going out, you know, I'm going out, and they're clearly not going out together. And he toys with this idea that am I going to be the person who's going to be domestic? Or am I just going to get the hell out of here? And eventually his decision is... I'm oh, gonna there's get a to great her.
0: moment where he almost washes the dishes. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. And then he slams... That's the tap lid slam down. That's like the phone slam He slams turns down. on the water for two seconds <laughs> and I'm like, oh, the hell with it. <laughs> I'm not doing I this. i got to be me. I've got to be me. That's it. And then he leaves. But do you remember going, what the hell is he going to do? Because I... Yeah, and then... You know, then when he pulls
0: up, and it's good, because he does, you know, I don't want to jump a minute ahead, but he does the crazy eyebrow thing when he asks him for a cup of coffee. It's yes. Like, he's <laughs> almost acknowledging the camera, like how silly this is.
1: <laughs> uh, when you said his eyebrow game, it's almost like I can't help myself but try it, like and try and do the, yeah. <laughs> like, try and be convincing, raise my eyebrows. But you're, you're right, it's like the intensity here, and... I also like just casual. Like it's so. This is the casual, cool. That's kind of. It's for a movie that is like dripping in authenticity. Is sort of. This is just pure archetype, cool movie-going experience. When he's there, and he's just like, I want. I'm going to leave my home. I'm going to get in a helicopter, and of course, it's an infrared camera to find Neil's car. But it's infra blue because Michael Mann can't have red. It's just infra blue <laughs> camera that can find the that finds the car streaming along the road, and he's there. And it's just so casual. It's like, yeah, revolving tail. Yep, yeah, we got him. Okay, cool. I have someone pick me up at the Vermont on-ramp. And he just gets off a helicopter like he's getting off a bus. Like, it's just... It's, it's as cool as you get. It's it's everything that you want from this character. And you, and also, it's like so super unexpected. Because you're like, is he going to go and shoot this guy? Like, I've been trying to rack my brain of what it was <laughs> like to see it for the first time. Because you have no idea well, I mean, what well, he's going to do. Well, you're saying
0: about the authenticity, too. This, this is the great Michael Mann thing, where everything is so lived in and it's a hundred percent, you know, he'll go on and on and bore you to tears in his commentaries <laughs> and interviews about how authentic everything is. And yet it's all in the service of this pulpy, like grandiose, ridiculous or, you know, the cops what they're doing is super authentic, but they're wearing three thousand dollar suits.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Like Pacino's a detective who wears five hundred dollar sunglasses. Like there would be an investigation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is this is uh, this is the there's a Surpico waiting after this where did he get those suits where did he wear well there's those never
0: sunglasses? any poor people in his movies you know no. there are these glorious houses that look out on the beach and yeah.
1: yeah and he, he is a a real romantic like a real romantic at heart like you look at Last of the Mohicans I think that's where he's, he's most unabashedly romantic that's you know it, and it, it might be in service for the picture but at the same time it's He's dealing with big archetypes. It's just gangsters. It's the same old things, but it's the Oh yeah, Miami
0: Vice. I mean, all the gangly stuff is just I mean, it's just rapturous.
1: Yes. But yes. Also kind of ridiculous,
0: but you know
1: <laughs> I'm gonna read you a great a wonderful text. My one one of my dearest friends, uh, she's probably my best friend in the world, Maria Lewis. She's an author and uh, and a writer and a, a film critic, and she sent me a text and she she sent me a text and she said, um, This is the other night. She's watching Miami Vice for the first time. She hadn't seen it before. And I'm like, she's been holding off. Collateral's her favorite Michael Mann movie. And she wrote, also, Michael Mann shoots sex scenes like he's never had sex with a woman. (laughs) And I just... Killed! It absolutely killed me. I was in the middle of work and I was just dying laughing. I had to put the phone down. I was like, I can't respond to these texts right now. It just hurts me too much. But in this movie, oh, that's, until she sees Black Hat, um, I, <laughs> she goes, "Which one do you like? Which 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 of the ones do you like, or do you have any that you're not a fan of?" And I'm like, "Well, Black Hat's the one that everyone's not a fan of, but I'm not a fan of the Keep. Um, I do really like, you know, I said the rest I like a lot. You know, uh, you know, to I varying degrees. Hell out
0: of Black Hat, but for you know."
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm on the fence. Maybe I need to watch it in a room with someone like you, Sean, with a few Michael Mann nutbags to all just sit down. And oh, take I saw the... it
0: by myself on oh. opening night. It was great. There was no one there to harsh my... Uh...
1: <laughs> to hush your buzz? You hush your buzz?
0: Well, I mean, that's when you really lean into the man's silliness with all like you know the the books on Chris Hemsworth's shelf. <laughs>
1: He's oh. like
0: reading Foucault and doing <laughs> push-ups. <laughs> when you find out he had to learn to type for the role
1: oh yes and then he's, he's like i not only had to learn I had to learn to type like a real hacker and it's like well can you imagine poor will smith who spent 11 months training how to box and all you had to learn was how to type it's like it, it's really well, I'm picturing those
0: poor big four fingers <laughs> pounding away on the laptop it probably went through like eight keyboards every-
1: <laughs> oh god Oh god! And he would have to duck getting out of the helicopter in this scene. He would seriously have to duck. <laughs> there wouldn't be as casual, cool getting out of the chopper. He's going to go down. He's got the long hair. He's very strapping. Um, but yeah, I think those movies end up they're more, way more experimental in a way because they're like stripping away the plot. They're just stripping that move. That blackout feels like it starts with plot and then it just strips it away to nothing. Into just like oh, this... my
0: favorite part is when he starts talking to her after they have sex. He starts talking to her about his dad. And man just cranks the music. Like there's all this backstory. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we, we don't need to hear this shit. You know?
1: <laughs> oh, God. You don't really care. You don't care about this. You've just seen. And that
0: does follow the tradition in Mohicans and Collateral and Black Hat and pretty much all of his action movies of completely thinning out the supporting cast when you're halfway through the movie yes there's one big set piece that just wipes everybody out like all of a sudden Mark Ruffalo isn't in collateral anymore
1: yes yes <laughs> like Bruce
0: Miguel all those guys they're all he's got so many characters and I mean he is sort of the ultimate of that we've got all these people it's like all right we got to winnow it down just
1: just to two people and he does it with the insider too and the inside is more pronounced because it like it get but it feels like it's getting inside Lowell's head and then getting inside Wagan's head, like all the way until the end. And at the very end it's just Lowell by himself. After all the clutter, after all the different cities, after all the world weariness, it just cuts down, it pairs it down to these two elemental things. God, it's so good. I love it. I think in he I think what you said spot on was like it's just his purest expression. Like it's just it just every single idea feels like it was perfectly crafted and maybe you know maybe well because he made it twice exactly yeah i was just about to say like it's a second it's a second it's a do-over completely of la takedown
0: i used to, i had a, a bootleg of la takedown i used to put on at like two o'clock in the morning when people were over <laughs> drinking and they would get so upset <laughs>
1: Just, why aren't we watching Heat? What are you doing to me right now? What? Are well, you... and it's
0: this awful porn actor community theater version oh, of Heat. It's
1: so bad. It's really bad. and it's But also... it's all the lines you
0: know by heart, too. It's so surreal. It was, it's just a strange... It's an odd thing.
1: It is odd. And also, for a man who is such a stylist, like an aesthetic stylist, mise-en-scene is huge. Like, every space looks like it's lived in. And you get that and it feels like it's all this backlot empty it is like a, a soft call porn staging like it's like the houses yeah. of porn they shot it Oh, well, we'll just go shoot it somewhere else and nothing even the costumes look like boogie nights like rocklander <laughs> stuff
0: you know <laughs> it's like that Lander. cheap suits with the sleeves rolled up <laughs> which i guess those were making fun of miami vice so it all goes
1: it all back in full circle full circle God, what a different universe. Because a couple of times I've spoken to folks who are like, one of the things they love about Heat is the tapestry of different characters that you get throughout. And, you know, if you ask them what that would change, they're like, I just really w- I wish the movie or maybe it was, you know, if, if it was ever remade again, you wish that maybe it had the space to go and explore some of those other characters a little bit more because they're, you know, interesting or they've got great stories to tell or whatever. And I'm just like, that's, L- that's what LA Takedown showed you was a failure. You know, like that, like in in this case, the way that this movie works. I think, Sean, that's a really great point that you just made around how it they start out these big blooming things and then they end up as nothing. Maybe, maybe Mohicans is one where it starts out with like three of them, it blows into this map, you know, epic armies and battles, and then it goes back down to, the, whittles back down to the three of them again at the end of the film. It's a, a sort of one that goes a little bit full circle.
0: Also, I think with Heat, it's so, because like Los Angeles isn't really, it's not a real city of its own. You know, it's like five or six different cities all yes, tied together by a freeway together. system. Yes. So that's why you have all these different movies going along. You know, always like, oh, I forgot about Van Zant. All these, oh, you know, oh, shit, Henry Rollins is in this movie.
1: <laughs> yes, he is. Henry Rollins and Tone Loke. Not many movies can say they have both of those guys in them.
0: That was another moment I remember being electric on opening night when Tone Loke started talking.
1: <laughs> Al Pacino's talking to Tone Loke. <laughs> what is what is the equivalent of this like right now? It's like DiCaprio talking to Chance the Rapper. Like is that is that what it would be like in 2018? More, it needs to be more of a
0: novelty guy, right? Cause I thought, and it, and it's 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 close too because you were 95 wasn't that far out from Funky Cold Medina.
1: No, no, and Rollins was still. Was he still performing in Black oh, Flag so. in '95? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, he's still in Black Flag in '95. <laughs> but it's like so weird. This like the, these two tiers of like underground um, cult music in massively different genres. Like he's like, oh, I'm gonna get those guys. I'm gonna get those guys. And then Al this. Pacino beats the shit out of
0: Henry <laughs> Rollins.
1: <laughs> that's my favorite. There's some careful cutting in that sequence. That's the only. <laughs> that's about the only sequence that's carefully cut. <laughs> How does Wes Studi with a shotgun not take down Henry Rollins? To be fair, like, Wes Studi looks like he could throw a few punches. You know, Wes, Wes Studi's got much more of a chance of taking him down. but And he does that face grab. I just don't believe ever that Al Pacino's hand would fit that well around Henry Rollins' face, especially, like, swole Henry <laughs> Rollins, because it's just amazing. He's got this amazing face that's just so good. Or well, was Al
0: on, like, a stool to reach his face? Yeah, too? yeah,
1: <laughs> big time. It's suspect, it's... It's it's the only, and it's so weird, it's like that's the only bit of the whole movie where they even do that. Because you look at him, like, his co-stars are massive. Like, Michael T. Williamson is huge. He's like 6'4". He's massive.
0: Oh, there's that great scene when they're going to Hank Azaria's office and they're all walking down the hall Pacino looks like a dwarf.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's tiny, he's tiny. And, 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 but uh, I think he's got that, but that's where he plays up that presence and those guys and the way they stayed to the scene, they're always looking in... They're like his chorus. They're always sort of doing stuff in the background and commenting and chiming in and just keeping their intensity for him in this scene. But this is all solo. This scene that we're looking at, it's all solo. It's all about the chase. It's all about this flange guitar right in the middle of the movie. It's the most sort of overt speeding through. And this is like LA. it's Like you said, LA is just a city stitched together by freeways. This is its most transient moment, like flying down these huge highways out of the air in the helicopter.
0: Right, you've got the Miami Vice shot of the side of the car with the wheels spinning. Right? Yes. You might as well throw to Phil Collins. <laughs> I,
1: yeah, you I do- love how
0: he drives too, because I know Vincent, you know, he's trying to catch up with Neil in this scene. But if you notice, Vincent drives like that in every scene, wherever they're going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only time that he's like kind of uh, okay in a car is when Bosco's driving. Like all the other yeah. ones, he's like driving with the same level of intensity, every single minute of the day. God, there's I even think...
0: the point I've always been when there's a scene later on when De Niro's talking to John Voight, and a car peels out behind them, and he looks over his shoulder, and I always think, is that Vincent? Because he's just leaving Justine's house, and I'm like, Jesus, is he around the corner for them? Because every <laughs> other time he's pulled out of the driveway, he's made that same noise.
1: Yes, yes, I don't know. That's a good one. Where is that? Is that, uh, that's after this? It's near set? the
0: end when he's getting the the out from. Voice. Oh,
1: when he's got the out. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And he yeah. does turn. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, I, I don't I almost know. I thought
0: I was like, maybe that's him because every other time he gets behind the wheel, there's a, there's that terrible noise when he feels. Up.
1: Oh, that would be, that would be funny. It would be just like the tiniest little bit of Easter egg business. I don't know if man would would have Easter egged like that. I mean, I wouldn't put anything past him when it comes to match cuts and all those other this things. This
0: is shit I think of because I've seen this too many times.
1: Yeah, I I've, I completely agree. I completely agree with you. I, I've I've now I'm now I'm on a tangent. I say to I say to folks and I watch it like. It's been maybe it's been a few months since I've watched the whole movie. I watched like a half an hour rotation, and then I watched like just a revolving half an hour rotation on and on. And um, right now, I'm just like fascinated about every scene having a an echo or answering or corresponding to earlier scenes. And so, had this massive emotional backbone where all these conversations between men and women almost staged in identical ways, you know, same part of the frame, left and right of the frame, etc. it's this huge emotional core of the movie and now it's like every scene has a corresponding scene or it shows that Neil has a weakness and Vincent has a strength and Vincent Vincent has a weakness and Neil has a strength and it's just all how they play off one another continuously along. So I'm now completely psychopathically obsessed that it might be the most perfect script ever as well as one of the best (laughs) films ever because of just how things echo perfectly along the way and not in that like weird George Lucas you know, they rhyme, you know, not, not that weird, (laughs) not that way. I mean, like for the purposes of the story, um, you're seeing the strengths and weaknesses of these characters and they're not perfect. And you're watching how they're constantly in this power struggle um, until they, you know, until the culminating moments of the movie, they're constantly in this power struggle, just sort of sidestepping between these huge, um, you know, these huge forces along the way.
0: Well, I've always thought that was the tragedy of it, you know, that, Vincent can actually live up to Neil's ethos, and Neil can't. He has to go back and kill Wangro. He has to get justice. Whereas Neil can just walk right out on the wife again. Wife number three is gone, and he skips down the steps. Yeah. 30 seconds flat, like the beeper went off. I'm on this guy. And that's why he gets to win. I know, like, you know, my friends at the time, they're all arguing that they wanted De Niro to win. (laughs) (laughs) But what's funny is No, he doesn't, because if if he had
1: just let go— Oh, he's gone. He, it's it's all about how he won't let go and it's at multiple stages and I actually think so many times when I talk to folk uh, on one Heat minute or even just about heat people are like oh the turning point is when blah insert scene here and I'm like no the turning point is so much earlier than you realize like the turning point is at 73 minutes into the movie when he hears that guy sit down in that truck and they go and have a debrief that the cops are on them that yeah. should be, they should have be been out of town. The movie should be done, <laughs> and it's hubris. It's the fact that no cops have ever gotten this close that they keep going. And it's just what it's these escalators. Well, he wants his iridescent algae. Oh my god, doesn't he ever? Doesn't he ever? <laughs> I've never wanted iridescent anything that much, Sean. I've never wanted iridescent <laughs> anything that much to do it, but but yeah, I think those it's turning... It's just a
0: weird phrase coming out of De Niro's mouth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: iridescent algae <laughs> for a guy who's repeated so many lines in his career i'm surprised he didn't have a crack at a second crack at iridescent 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 <laughs> algae um yeah it is funny it's so but but he picked he picked, he got you know uh, uh, he got the pick of the roles when the scripts came out so he chose neil he knew what neil's fate well, was. well i think it's very interesting to where he was
0: at the time because just after Cape Fear, I mean, he was so big and he was yes. doing all this large physicality. And, like this boy's life, he's massive. He's like a cartoon yeah. character almost, which I think was, you know, a couple of years before. Yes. And so I could see the challenge for this was to go completely interior. Yes. And to, that's why the I remember the, the first time I saw the movie, I was much more taken with De Niro's performance just because it was something I hadn't seen from him in so long that just that quiet and contained and everything is so minimal
1: yeah because he's coming much
0: as just a flicker across the eyes
1: yeah he's coming off so he does the mission angel heart untouchables midnight run so many good movies goodfellas awakenings backdraft cape fear this boy's life, which is she's huge, and then he sort of does that little. He does a little bit of the. It's pretty
0: bon- big backdraft too. Right? Ba- yeah, <laughs> backdraft. huge yelling. Scene.
1: Yeah, huge yelling scene and Casino too. Um, Frank Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, of course, the one where he's quiet, but it kind of slipped to the side because it was an indie film at the time. But it, it's probably had a lot of legs since as a as a really accomplished film. Is a Bronx Tale, where he's actually oh, yeah, the quiet bus driver dad, you know it's got such a small part and it's Chaz Pomeroy like it's really Chaz's you know whole film yeah,
0: he, he gives it to him but he's very affecting in it
1: oh very good very good and, and and I also
0: think just with their friendly rivalry for so many years I think he knew there was no way he was going to showboat out showboat Pacino, particularly in the late 90s, like yes. or the
1: mid-90s. <laughs> He's like, oh, this guy's going to have a field day with this. He's going to have a field After day.
0: After Glengarry Glenn Ross, it was just like, all right, just let him go. He's going to eat the <laughs> whole room.
1: <laughs> and you even watch them, they're so funny, even in like I've been obsessively researching all of their junket interviews and things like that. And there's so many times where De Niro at the beginning of the interview is trying to give answers and then there's these really long-winded, uber complex questions that are being thrown at him that aren't like yes or no. He has to like think of almost like an essay, you know, structure back a very critical thought out answer. And he kind of looks, and then so many times he does this like great flick pass to Pacino. He'll just look at Pacino like, do you want to answer that? And it's almost like Pacino can't help himself because he's in front of an audience. So he's just like, so yeah, and he just starts answering a question that was directed <laughs> at Bob. It's so funny. It's just awesome. And, and oh, I'm dude. sure his scarves are spectacular too. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Pacino scarves. Uh, but I mean
0: that too is the great era of Pacino hair. Like you look at his hair in the coffee shop scene and it's like it's this architectural marvel of this like bouffant that kind of like cascades down.
1: It is it it's is stunning. It, it's what also is under like it's more pronounced as what I'm watching this movie is that when, when you're at, you're sort of at the heights that both of these guys were at the time, they're also, they're not old guys yet. They're not young guys anymore, but they're like, they're most handsome. So that has a big role to play as well. Like, you know, I think Max Cady, you know, like you said, he comes off this boy's life and Kate fear for De Niro. And he's like this big, massive swole dude. And, and it doesn't really work for Pacino as much in sort of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but, and, and when of a woman, but he, here he's playing a, like he's meant to be a handsome dude. He's meant to be a handsome and charming charismatic. And Neil's kind of meant to blend in, but also at the same time, he's still, he's most physically, you know, physically fit looking great in his older age. And it's like that perfect point of his life where they're both really handsome at the same time.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't want to bring up righteous kill, but oh god, I remember. <laughs> Do, you know how many t- con- Do
1: you know how many times that sentence has been said? Just in general, <laughs> I don't want to bring up righteous kill, but here, we, here it is.
0: We were just yelling at my friend after the movie. I was like, "They look awful." Oh god, <laughs> they're doddering old men. You can't even shoot these guys right. Look
1: at them in heat; they're gorgeous. <laughs> oh my god, that and it's yeah, they're striking looking. Like, I just remember, you, you, you think of movies like, how beautiful is Pacino in Godfather, like Godfather One, as that young Michael? He's just. he's, he's
0: The way he moves, like, the way oh. he moves in Carlito's way is extraordinary. I yes. remember, uh, I saw somewhere that Brian De Palma said, like, you know, act like your cat. Yes. There's this grace which, with he moves, it's just absolutely a pleasure to watch.
1: And and these two guys, unlike, I'm trying to think of, like, older actors who have really tried to, like, do you remember how shocked you were when you saw J.K. Simmons, like, getting swole? Like, remember that yeah. you saw those photos where you're just like, Jesus, J.K. Simmons. Like, you just didn't, and this is a guy who never really looked bad. Like, he never looked physically unfit or anything like that, but he was like, totally getting jacked and you're like my gosh jk simmons what are you doing but pacino and de niro i mean de niro of course is much more of a fit guy he's been fit in his in his life but it's like late for later movies he's kind of just let that go it's like it's always that you know burly looking dude he'll go to a few weights and he's like all right here i am you know ready to fight sylvester stallone in a terrible terrible film but um but yeah (laughs) but but yeah i just i there's something about them looking so felt and looking younger like that. There's just so vibrant. Whereas you look at Righteous Kill, and even in the trailers and stuff, you're like, "Ugh, this is not the same. This is not. This is not what we're looking for." And which is why everyone, I think, and I'm sure you are included, so intrigued about this Irishman film. Like, what's gonna, what is this thing gonna be? Well,
0: it's got to be better.
1: <laughs> oh yes, <yeah. laughs> it's got Marty at the helm. It's got to be better than. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be better than Righteous Kill.
0: No, I'm, I'm very excited, yeah, I want, you know, I've been waiting for how long for Pacino to be in a Scorsese movie, like, this has gotten absurd It is absurd, it is absurd, what do you think that is? What do you think that is, Sean? They say they've just never gotten around to it, I don't know, I, I was wondered if there was a girlfriend or something, but
1: Yeah, I don't know, but I, I, I'm like, how is, you haven't gotten around to it, you've both made like 80 movies each, like what do you mean Pacino's in like six movies
0: a year at this point
1: yeah too. he's in a lot it's like god i was actually just looking at it on the on, on imdb like he hold on let's have a look he's almost got Sagal level numbers at the moment let's have a look Cigar consistently making four movies a year that no one ever sees um
0: oh yeah with the, it's like the Nicolas cage thing or something they're all or bruce willis they're all in these movies, they're like tax shelter things. They're in like two scenes where they wear the same costume in both scenes, and they're like guys in an office.
1: Yeah, like three three in 2013, two in 14, one in 15, one in 16, two in 17, one in 18, two scheduled for 19, so the Irishman, and um, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood um, all coming out. But there's so many. You know, it was a novelty. There's so he's... many you
0: haven't heard of, which is sad. <laughs> yes. Like, I remember... The Pacino movies were an event, you know, It was,
1: and so, especially a,
0: after he disappeared for a few years, you know, he like quit acting after revolution and quit acting in films anyways.
1: And De Niro, De Niro hasn't really done that. He hasn't had a big concerted gap in time.
0: Oh yeah. He likes to work. He'll just, he'll just show up.
1: He'll show up for Dirty Grandpa any day of the week. Oh my God. <laughs>
0: There was nobody who wanted to like that movie more than I did. Oh, me too. I
1: was was... was leaning
0: forward in the seat. I wanted this to be the one.
1: I I wanted it to be fun. I really wanted it to be fun and crass. Like, really crass, but...
0: All the right people were getting angry about it. I was like, oh, this is going to be great!
1: (laughs) But, oh, man. It is... And Grudge Match was the movie, guys, in case you're following along, of the terrible Sylvester Stallone. Two old men with... (laughs) CTE, um, fighting each other,
0: <laughs> which was the second time Sylvester Stallone has blown De Niro off the screen. It was like Copland, and this
1: like, yeah. when
0: he's going to work with him, Stallone really brings his A game, and he gives it a yeah. hundred percent. De Niro's barely like at the craft service tent.
1: Do you think? Um, have you heard the rumors of a Heat sequel or prequel that they were talking about? Michael Mann saying he was oh, writing no, a I prequel. Just as a novel. I heard there was a novel coming out of like... Oh,
0: I heard, yeah. There was a book. Yeah, he was starting his own book imprint, right?
1: Yeah, something like that. And he was going to write it. But I just look at it now and I play this, you know, I, I play the game with friends like it's almost impossible to recast Heat in other eras. Except I think the 70s. If you went back to the 70s and maybe 80s, you could do it. Because there's just no equivalency in the Pacino, De Niro, like the the rivalry the you know the 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 magic of them both being in the same oscar winning picture both being nominated you know all the all the you know the lore that surrounded the godfather pictures and the reverence that happened for many many years and still continues to this day but i just don't think there's two other actors
0: Yeah, and then for 20 years of them not being in a movie together again. Yes. The build-up was
1: just... The build-up. Like, there's not really any equivalencies I can think of in the modern times. Can you?
0: No, no. I mean, what are you going to have, like... I mean, who's even that big that's as respected an actor? There's sort of DiCaprio and...
1: But, like, I mean, Tom
0: Cruise from 10 years ago. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I was going to say, Tom Cruise is, like, 10 years ahead of DiCaprio, so it kind of... It's not... It's not the same. Like they weren't ever competing for the same roles or working in the same genres and you're like, Oh, that would be great.
0: But they seem to be the last two guys of that magnitude.
1: Yeah, really? Yeah. It's so strange.
0: The movie stardom is totally, (laughs) everything's changed on us.
1: Yes. Yeah. Now there's TV stars. Now there's TV stars and not movie stars. So when you see two people from TV in the same thing,
0: yeah, I'm gonna to go to the movies and see John Krasinski. Give me
1: a come on. You, you, did you see what was it? 13, 13 hours. Is it thirteen hours? You would have seen <laughs> yeah. that. You would have been along to that. It wasn't terrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, I want to see that because I hate myself.
1: <laughs> oh god. But we're right here. We're in the chase. What is what? What is? You know, when you think of. Do you think that there's like a big, pronounced step when Michael Mann moves into movies like Ali and then into Collateral and things like that? Does he does he change as a filmmaker? Does he get better? Is this his purple patch and he doesn't have it anymore? What do you, what do you think, Sean? Because I'm I'm a huge no. Met- I think the, the
0: the breaking point there was a there was a split in the middle of The Insider. in yes. his shooting style. Whereas this Heat is the last one that's very painterly composed. You know, you've got that Spinati just uh, everything's very classically laid out and the insider starts with the crazy handheld and like that's when he develops his favorite shot of putting the camera behind somebody's ear
1: yes yes
0: and ever since you know about like halfway through the insider the movies have started getting more experiential and less plot based and so he does sort of i guess it is his last classical movie and you know it's the, the summing up of all these things and now he's exploring other other things he wants to look at yeah lights and patterns and colors
1: <laughs> you say as you're chuckling <laughs> it's like it's like you abandon things like story <laughs> and, and, and and well it's the so fun of
0: Black Hat, right <laughs> where the end like that and they actually look like a computer virus when they're marching uh, through the parade
1: <laughs> yes yes it is a strange film Black Hat is a strange film and a film that was going to take far too much time to unpack <laughs> What do you think sticks well, around, what do you What do you think, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about um, all the things in Heat, but what do you think, particularly with the dialogue, what do you think makes it stick? Because it's, some of it's so clunky in a way and sort of like hilarious, but it's it does this weird thing where it's so clunky and hilarious that it's perfect. Like you just wouldn't change that you wouldn't change a thing. Like, it's just like, no, no, I'm actually
0: really mad about all the lines he's removed because you know, you had Justine, like you sift through the detritus that's gone from all the blu-rays
1: yeah, because who
0: says detritus? And I remember my friend's dad coming out of the theater. Who the hell says detritus in the middle of an
1: argument? <laughs> I, I love that. I love that she says it. My my theory with that is, I love that she says detritus because imagine a woman who's been at home alone every night with a teenage daughter who just goes <laughs> to bed, and how many times she had to wash those goddamn dishes. Right. Without him, (laughs) because he's never washed one. And how many times is she prepared to say that argument? And she's wanted to slay him and like eviscerate him with like every word. And I just imagine her over and over again, practicing that. I'm like, that's how you say detritus in an argument. When you, when you've got the space to practice it for for five months, when you know you're on the downslope of a marriage um but yeah no the warner brothers blu-ray that i still have she says the detritus and in this and in, in one heat oh, minute podcast yeah. you can hear it you can she says it but in the new definitive edition there are some trims and tweaks and i just i don't i don't that's like gone
0: that gone and the big one i hate that's gone is the ferocious are i the
1: <laughs> <laughs> i love that when i think of it like but it's so perfect because it's ferocious aren't because when i think yes. of the hands <laughs> of woman's hands Something. Well, my friend Greg Quick
0: wrote a great piece for Slant Magazine about there was a Pacino retrospective in New York City. And he led with that like ferocious and I being this great point when he just addresses the crowd like, aren't you proud of me? <laughs> 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 it was Sort of like this cartoon, like a Warner Brothers character, you know, the cartoon turning to the audience ferocious aren't i a stinker so um, yeah i got the new blu-ray and it's like damn you, because that the problem with man movies is he keeps changing them every time i buy them
1: yes agree and and now just like as we're talking there's articles that in some because of some licensing issues on itunes purchases can disappear from your itunes catalog And so it's like this physical media is so important to get your hands on because it's like, you know, the, the manic Star Wars fans who are like desperate to see the original theatrical cuts are on a DVD from about 15 years ago. And if you can still get them, that's the only way you can watch them unless you've got the VHSs because no special editions ever contained the original theatrical version. So it's just this nightmarish thing. I still have
0: those DVDs and those are the ones I showed my nephew.
1: Me too, right? (laughs) Me too. But it's, yeah, it's so weird. I know I, I think I've got like multiple copies of most man movies for that very reason. But I just, I love, that's one thing that I noticed because I wasn't lucky enough ever to see Heat. I was a little bit young to see Heat at the theatre in Australia. I never saw it. I saw it on VHS. It was my first time. So I saw it at the cinema fairly recently um, after many, many, many years of watching it on DVDs and Blu-rays and video and whatever. And Pacino played for me like in, because the movie, the sound is incredible. The, the new 4K print was just beautiful. But it was so intense. It's such a movie that you're on the edge of your seat and you feel like you're getting goosebumps at, at different moments and in all the heightened scenes of action and the tension of stakeouts that... Pacino just played like this he like a performer like like you just said before like a Looney Tunes cartoon he just took the he took the tension out and gave you releases and the audience laughed at every single line including like you know some people chuckling at the baby in the microwave stuff you know like they just chuckled <laughs> but it is a good deflator like you go oh you can actually take a breath and I think like so many people you know you have that conversation some people said who wins the movie I think ringer or the ringer website always say it who won the movie and I I've been such a, like, oh, De Niro wins the movie so many times before. But when, I was, when you watch it with an audience, Pacino wins the movie, hands down. Like, there's not even a question. Because people seem yeah, to Yeah, like just, I said,
0: that was my big come around over the years of rewatching it. Where, you know, De Niro's terrific. But Pacino's just so strange. You're just watching it wondering, like, why did he do that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing in this scene? My other, you...
0: Yeah, we'll wrap it all up again, tying up with, with the gum, because there's a great thing he does it a couple times, where he'll unwrap a piece of gum, like meticulously, and you'll see him, and then he'll open his mouth, and he won't put the gum in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and you're waiting. I think when they're on the roof, and the guys are all out to dinner, and he's going yes. over who everybody is, and it's like the surprise of a lifetime, and you wait for him to pop the gum in his mouth. And he just doesn't. He just walks <laughs> away without – he's just got an unwrapped piece of gum in his hand.
1: <laughs> and you're like, for God's sake, ow. You can't, you can't just do that to us. We're an audience. We need to get the satisfaction of you putting the gum in your mouth. He, he, he was so happy with the line, he doesn't want to chew. He just doesn't want to chew. Look, guys, I think with that that's so perfect. I need you to go back. Not only do you need to go back and watch the eighty seventh minute and potentially check it out and listen again. To um, so Sean and I are talking about it, but you need to go and find the unwrapped gum scenes, and hopefully, you're still watching a version of Heat that has the line about detritus and has the ferocious R&I because that's the version that this One Heat Minute project is talking about. We don't want to see the twinked version. You know, we know that filmmakers now in 2018 have the luxury of going back and, you know, abridging their classics to fit with whatever their current mindset is, but. That 1995 original theatrical release that was on the Blu-ray for Warner Brothers, not the Fox one is sublime. It doesn't need to be touched or tinkered with. It is perfect. Leave it alone. Move on to the next thing. Um, Sean Burns, mate, this has been a pleasure to meet you and also to chat to you on one heat minute. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much for being a part of the show.
0: No, Thanks for having me, man. This was a blast
1: guys. I will definitely be having Sean back. I'm told you I'm, I'm bringing him back with Courtney Howard to talk through the Ralph scene. Our, dear uh dear poor sap ralph that uh, that must happen um <laughs> If you want to follow Sean on the Twitter sphere, um, you can find him at Sean M. Burns. Um, his uh, personal site, Splice Personality, is the best spot to find all his reviews because he sort of consolidates them from the publications that he's at. Um, I'm going to post, if you're listening to this now, go to oneheatminute.com. You'll find a post with a link to um, his amazing article on, uh, on Michael Mann's films, um, Manhunter, Heat, and Public Enemies The Chase is the Thing, um, which basically has a paragraph that I feel like I, I said on this show um before ever reading the, the article um so um this is huge um thank you again sean for being a part of the show mate thank you uh to mr Neil schwartz for doing the intros thank you to garth franklin um for our awesome website design and paul davies for the music that featured in this very minute And thank you guys for listening to the show. Um, So oneheatminute.com, we're everywhere, Spotify, iTunes, all those other podcasting places you can find us. um, And subscribe, rate, and review the show. Sean, thanks again. Thank you. We'll catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute, just around the corner.